Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. Uh, Brett Mitchell here, and we've got something special as well um, for our podcast today and for the next at least two podcasts. And uh, we're going to be exploring the somewhat interesting topic of contact droplet and airborne transmission and where we should head in the future for this paradigm. So we've got a bit of a, a series of podcasts planned. We're going to ask people from across the world their views on some key questions. And uh, those questions are going to be that we want them to say or describe or tell us our thoughts on whether they think the current contact droplet and airborne transmission terminology is okay and whether it needs to change. Uh, If so, why? If not, why not? And then we're also going to ask about ideas that could make this better or if something doesn't need to change, then how can we instill confidence in this paradigm? So we're going to interview people. We're going to keep it short and sharp. They're going to be five minutes maximum each, and you're going to hear views from all across the world. What do you reckon, Martin? Well, it's standard to silence, clearly. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping things will change. I've got to be absolutely honest. I was over at the Shea Springs meeting this year, and they were saying CDC were undoubtedly going to be looking at changing things in the, over the next year or so it's trying to get some sort of consensus as to where we go with it then and also it's it's you know droplets are dogma i think that have been with us for a long time how do we get rid of it without appearing to lose face you know that so that's a tricky bit for me really um mm. so okay. i mean well maybe a tricky bit for for many i mean it's not that tricky for me i've got to be absolutely honest because i'm completely convinced we've got it wrong Mm. And Phil, I guess part of this idea of this is that we're going to try and engage and hear different views. And um, really, with the goal of this really being to try and move this discussion along. Yeah, I think there is a lot of discussion going on underground, as we say at the moment, about um, how the current paradigms of the various transmission-based precautions really aren't meeting our needs and offering the safest protection for our healthcare workers and for our patients. And we've learnt that because of COVID. Um, And I think we've got evidence now to suggest that those paradigms that we've known so well in our lives with infection prevention control need to be rethought and uh, and, and redesigned to, to combat, you know, not only COVID, but uh, other emerging infections. So before we hear from everybody, um, you know, uh, I guess I'm going to ask us three what we think, but I think we're all on the same page just from that intro that that needs to change. So um, I wonder whether either of you have got thoughts about what a new world could look like in this area. And, you know, I'm asking this up front because we're then going to start interviewing people over the next two weeks. And um, so our views might change by the by the time we wrap this up and summarise everyone's thoughts at the end of it and podcast two or three, depending on how many of these we do. Um, so any ideas up front from either of you? Terminology has got to change, I think. Um, many people now think that, you know, what, what's a droplet? And if, if you go talking to pure physicists, they don't talk about droplets, and etc. It's all about the size of particles. And that was... When I'm listening to people like Lydia Morowska earlier on this year, you know, you just think, why have we not been talking to physicists all along? Mm. Um, 
and I, you know, I, I think we need to really listen to other specialties with specific expertise in certain areas. I'm not sure we've been doing that particularly well. I think we've been listening to ourselves quite a lot, but not to people who are clearly more expert in certain areas. And I mean, th- just this week, I declined to review a paper that I probably a year ago would have said, oh, yeah, I'll review that paper. But I, it was looking at the effect of X on Y, but clearly it was physics. And now I'm thinking, really, I shouldn't be reviewing that paper because I've got IPC expertise, but I'm not a physicist. Mm. So I can't tell you about the dose of X on Y. So therefore, that's the sort of person who should be reviewing that paper. And we should be listening to the uh, you know, to other folk. Mm. I think sometimes we're a little bit too insular. Mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong in the whole thing being thrown up in air and being changed because many areas of science have enormous changes which completely changes the way everybody thinks about something mm. and i hopefully i think covid will make us it, it, i mean it's not a bad thing to do it anyway periodically to say have we been getting this right or wrong mm. but i think the answers may be in the too difficult box and that's why people are a bit reluctant mm. And of course, we did interview Lydia, I think probably about 12 months ago. Um, and yeah. we, we started talking about particles rather than uh, droplets and aerosols, because I think everyone talks about something. I think sometimes unintentionally, or we're talking about a similar thing, but we, but the terminology we've used in our discipline does not match what's in other disciplines. And I think that's also been part of the problem. Phil, your thoughts, any ideas early on or where, where you think this could head? Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think we need to, to walk the talk. Actually, we we now have evidence to demonstrate that um, the current paradigms aren't working. Yeah, we need to look at at new uh, new designs for the future. You know, we both Brett and I, with our work that we did last year, you know, had ex- a lot of exposure to um, aerosol engineers or um, airborne technicians. I can't remember what the exact terminology was now, Brett, but you know, they they opened up a whole new world to our thinking about um, the transmission of um, respiratory viruses and, and the, the importance of airflow and ventilation. Um, and really, our current paradigms don't accommodate that well at all. So I think we need to essentially um, base our next set of recommendations on on what we know and what we've learned. Mm. Well, I'll ask myself the same question. Um, but I, Yeah, what do you think, Brett? What do you think? Thanks, man. I'm cute. Uh, look, I've, I've got two random thoughts about this. One is perhaps we just go down the route of contact precautions and respiratory precautions and keep it quite simple. And we should be talking about particles, um, infectious particles. So, and, and thinking about the, res- in the respiratory side, then, you know, what we're dealing with. So to keep it relatively simple... You might have contact and respiratory-based precautions, but um, I think that's one idea. The other, you know, it's a bit of a random idea, but you know what we've always focused on in infection prevention and control are um, modes of transmission. But what about we turn it on its head and think about portals of entry and base what we do on the portal of entry, whether that be injection, ingestion, inhalation sexual transmission. So, you know, the, the, the things that we would put in place for those things to break that chain, if you like, are based on uh, the route of entry. So if we're talking about respiratory pathogens, we're thinking about well, how do we protect ourselves uh, through that portal of entry. If we're talking about, you know, IV devices, we're talking about predominantly things like 
the port of entry through skin becoming intact or, or injection of something. So I wonder whether that's another way completely to look at it and and stop putting things in the boxes. I admit that probably puts things in boxes, but it also allows you to think about multiple layers of things at the same time rather than just um, um, just one thing that, as we saw with SARS, things don't fit nicely into a box. So, and of course, uh, COVID as well. Anyway, that was my, that was my random thought about that. Uh, needs a lot more thinking about, but I'm sure other people have got better ideas than that that we're going to hear over the next... Um, uh, little while yeah we're looking forward it's to so it. tricky transmission isn't it because you can't really know you can't really nail it down can you because you really don't know we're making big guess versus plus big guess to get from a to b often you know mm. because you know we we know well we've we've seen many papers that suggest that people who are staph aureus carriers nasally have an increased risk of surgical site infection so you actually use miparacin or whatever to suppress it in the nose and they seem to get less surgical site infection what's the exact mechanism Still struggling with that bit of it because how does it get from the nose, you know, mm. into the patient's wound? Mm. You know, so, you well, know is this be... them exhaling and breathing out through the nose? You know, who knows? But it's really tricky, and mm. I, I think we make a lot of assumptions in IPC, and it'd be nice to get probably more involved with engineers and, and scientists mm. and physicists to actually try and track down some of the true routes. I mean, I think the whole genome sequencing is getting very interesting and that will maybe yeah. help us track transmission a little bit better. I think we need to know the relative importance of some of these different either portals of entry or mode, and or modes of transmission. Uh, and once we understand that, we can better, through better science, we can um, think about what it is we need to put in place uh, that's, that's appropriate. Um, so we're going to wrap up our little discussion here um, and um, we're going to sign off, but we're going to follow this podcast now immediately with a couple of interviews from people that we've done. They're going to be short, as I say, short, sharp, five-minute interviews, and um, we'll sort of sign off at the end of, of listening to those. And then the next podcast will have additional uh, views from a range of people. You won't hear us rabbiting on more about this. And then we'll have a third podcast that will also have some some views and us then trying to come back and synthesize what we've heard from all the different people that we've interviewed and spoken to and see if there's any consensus, see if there's any bones of contention, uh, see if anyone's got any uh, great ideas that perhaps could be thrown in the mix to take this forward. So that's, that's the plan for the next uh, few episodes. We hope you enjoy uh, this sort of different, different sort of podcast we've put together. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting. And hopefully we'll get some good contra views to get the discussion going because yeah. that's always good for debate, I think. Mm. And just one thing to flag that for everybody that um, we have gone to a range of different people We've to, to start this process. Uh, we've gone wide. And whoever we end up with on the podcast is not... Uh, it, not due to our selection bias initially. It's people's availability. So... Um, uh, you know, we did want to try and knock this over so that we could get this podcast out. So there are plenty of people we did want to speak to who probably won't be available, unfortunately, over the next couple of weeks to speak to us. But um, not for one of trying, and hopefully we still get that um, diversity out there as well. All right. Well, you're going to hear from Phil and Martin and myself talk to different people over the next uh, little while. So we hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Brett.
So I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Kirsty Busing. Kirsty is an ID physician and also medical director of medical services at the Royal Melbourne Hospital in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Kirsty uh, had a um, very intense role during the recent pandemic in clinical services. And uh, I've got the three questions for Kirsty. So welcome, Kirsty, first of all. Hi, thanks, Phil. Um, the first question, Kirsty, is with regards to the current contract droplet airborne transmission terminology and the way we subsequently plan and deliver IPC precautions, do you think that needs to change? Thanks, Phil. Um, I think it does need to change. I think we need to be open to um, evolving and progressing ideas as new evidence and information emerges. And, you know, if we've learnt nothing in the last couple of years, it's that things can change quickly um, and we have to be flexible and responsive. Um, I think what we've learnt, um, my un my current understanding is that really with, with infections that are spread via a respiratory route, that the, the concept of there being a distinction between droplets and aerosols is artificial and that it's a continuum. And and I therefore think we, we probably are heading towards a space where we might um, have for, for respiratory pathogens something that might be akin to respiratory precautions, um, you know, and not try and separate it out into two separate things. Just understand that um, that these airborne particles are come in all sizes um, and and that um, uh, whilst some pathogens may be more or less infective than others you know they they probably need a different infective dose and and some of the interactions that we have may be higher or lower risk you know that when we're closer to people the concentration of those air, airborne particles is higher and so the risk is higher versus if we're further away so um I think that's where where we're headed, and and that um, respiratory pathogens would be viewed differently to other pathogens that we know are spread by contact, like MRSA or CPE or other things like that, where we'd be thinking more um, in in a different type of precaution. So the the terminology really droplet airborne, you think, is really can't be applied anymore, can it? It's it's it doesn't it, it, adequately cover the situation. In my view, it just doesn't match the science. Um, and you, you could just condense it all into calling it airborne because that's what they really are. They're particles that are spread in the air. Um, but if that confuses people because we've used the terminology differently, I mean, I would support that if we just got rid of droplet and, and moved to airborne solely or or if it helped people more to, to use a different word, that, that would be very reasonable too. But I think trying to separate them into some that you can use, you know, different types of precautions probably doesn't make sense anymore to me. Sure. Uh, just one final question. Do you think it also needs to consider the environment that it's been applied in? Yeah, it does. Uh, so you need to think about the pathogen and you need to think about um, the environment, the context. And and I think that's where also decoupling mask you might use, what PPE you might use from whether you need a negative pressure room, because I think that's a real sticking point that people struggle with in a hospital environment. We don't have enough negative pressure rooms. And if we called everything airborne and suddenly needed, you know, if, if that in, implied that everything needed a negative pressure room, we'd be in, we wouldn't be able to manage. Um, so uh, I think to some extent, 
understanding the context would help you to determine when you might need a negative pressure room. So maybe we just need to be rethinking the way we we talk about those precautions. Great. Thanks, Kirsty. Um, that's uh, some really helpful insight. Really appreciate your time. And um, we'll uh, chat again in the future sometime. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, Phil. Well, hello, everybody. Brett Mitchell here. And I've got with me Cathy Dempsey, who's the New South Wales Chief ICP and HIA Advisor for the Clinical Excellence Commission in New South Wales. Hello, Cathy. Hi, Brett. How are you today? Wonderful, thanks. And of course, we're talking about uh, contact droplet and airborne precautions. So, Cathy, do you think that uh, contact droplet and airborne transmission terminology uh, needs to change? Well, I feel like that's a trick question as a result of COVID. Thanks, Brett. Um, <laughs> really nice opener. Look, you know, doing some preparation, and it's interestingly, even a published study as recent as May 22 mentions that airborne transmission is possible for COVID. So still doesn't really say that it, it's absolutely. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge. I think those precautions have served us well in healthcare prior to COVID. Mm. Uh, I think there's definitely been a, a kind of shift or a takeover, if you like, of language from other disciplines outside of COVID during, um, you know, the pandemic. Uh, or outside of infection control during the pandemic, which has contributed to complexities. Mm. There's definitely a difference between droplet and airborne in, in health. Um, but I also feel that the difference between droplet and airborne in health, whilst has focused on size of particles, it has also included a risk assessment of dispersal of particles. Mm. So infection control has less, been less about the physical distance that's been often scrutinised in the literature as reasoning for our separation. Mm. But, you know, I feel the distancing has been really public health more than infection control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, definitely, you know, we talk about things like droplets generally travel shorter distances, but we don't really say what they are in our guidelines. We talk about droplets being heavy particles, that they usually travel shorter but aerosols remain suspended, prolonged periods and travel long distances. So I think we need to have options. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to have a risk assessment and the ability to provide safety for healthcare workers with quality, safe patient care, which I think has too often been omitted during the conversations during COVID. Yeah, look, that's a, that's a really that's a really important point, actually. You're absolutely right on that. Yeah. Do you, have you got any ideas about how that terminology could either change or how confidence could be restored in that paradigm that you've just described? Yeah, look, uh, I'm not opposed to change, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, there's an opportunity to revisit, you know, should, be, should we be looking at something called respiratory protection mm -hmm. and then underpin respiratory protection with uh, some options which might have you know, rather than droplet airborne or it might define droplet airborne with a choice of um, different protection, but you've still got an overarching respiratory protection model. Interestingly, we've tried to put that out uh, about three times now yeah. uh, to New South Wales, um, you know, like let's discuss, let's look at changing, and each time we haven't really been able to settle or land on mm. an approach. Mm. Getting closer 
but yeah, not landing. Do you think a revision is in the Australian context for our international audience, but it'll probably be very similar in other countries? Do you think that a change in the national approach in national guidelines would help facilitate that, or do you think this needs to be something that needs to be worked through locally? What works, what doesn't work, and then try and find that um, solution that sort of is consistent across states or or um, countries. Look, it's kind of that, you know, that top-down plus, you know, bottom-up approach. It's kind of like all-in. Everyone needs mm. to be all-in, you know. So we get a global change, you know, which sort of feeds into a national change, which then definitely feeds into um, a, a statewide uh, change. And I think without that, you're going to have, um, you know, disparity and variance across the states, definitely in um, Australia, mm. and I suspect globally if we if we don't get a con- consensus. Yeah. Look, Cathy, we could talk about this for a lot longer, but I yeah. we do have to keep everyone to five minutes to get yeah. through a whole range of people. But thank you so much for your views and thoughts on this, and I hope that that stimulated some others to think about what they might be thinking about in this area too. So thanks so much for your time, Cathy. Thanks, Brett. Thanks.